Genesis chapter 5. Say amen if you're there. Verse 24. Now, before you read, there's a, the title of the message is, is Methuselah's father. Now, how many of you know before you even look at who Methuselah's father? How many of you don't even know who Methuselah is? You guys don't look at me like you're not really sure what I'm talking about. Amen, you know? Well, let's look at verse 21. We'll see who this is this morning, okay? And Enoch lived 60 and 5 years, and he begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God. And he was not, for God took him. What you notice this morning, we're looking at the father of a son, who's the notoriety of son we find in the next few verses. He had a son by the name of Methuselah. Methuselah means a man of the dart or a man of the javelin. Methuselah, as we read this, we read later on that he lived 869 years. How many would like to live that old, amen? He was the oldest living man. Both Enoch and Methuselah got to see their ancestors. Adam was still alive during that time. But the focus is not on Methuselah. Our focus tonight, this morning, is on a father by the name of Enoch. I pray this morning we'll just take a moment to see and, and uh, to glean from the scriptures today about a man who should inspire us as a model believer and as a model father. Father, I pray this morning that everything said would glorify you. I pray that the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart would be acceptable in thy sight. Holy Spirit of God, as I've prayed all week, I pray for the Spirit's control. I pray for the Spirit's saturation. Touch my lips so that the words I say are clear and understandable. Work in my heart that, Lord, today, that from my heart to the heart of your people, they would be fed the Word of God. I pray today for visitors and guests, they would feel a sense of your love, as well as our members, a sense of your love, a sense of, Lord, your acceptance, the Lord, a sense of, Lord, a desire for them to go to the next level. Thank you, Lord, for those watching by live stream and for fathers who could not be here today that they're watching by live stream, that you bless their faith and their walk with you. Lord, help us have a wonderful time today. Well, thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I'm thankful today's fathers. I had a chance to spend some time with my kids and my wife last night. We just kind of broke off everything for a couple hours last night, had dinner. We had a wonderful time last night, and it's a wonderful thing to be with your kids and to celebrate things with them and be very, very simple. And, of course, as we said earlier, we want today to be a great, great Father's Day for every father. But as we celebrate Human Father's Day, we don't want to forget to celebrate our Heavenly Father. Amen? And our Heavenly Father is God above who loves us. And I reminded today in John chapter 1, verse 12, the Bible says, But as many, to as many as received Him, that is Jesus Christ, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. And I just want to impress on you, though that's not my message this morning, I want to impress on you today that God is your Heavenly Father. You know Jesus Christ, and nobody loves you like God, and nobody cares for you like God, and nobody's there for you like God, and nobody cares enough about you, knows enough about you like God. Paul said this in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family and heaven and earth is named. Now, a lot of times people say, well, God is my father, but they're not a believer in Jesus Christ. They've not accepted 
Christ is their Savior. May I say this this morning without being insulting anybody, that Jesus, that God is not your Father until you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior. He must be your Savior first. And notice here in Ephesians 3, he clarifies that as well. He says, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. That family in heaven and earth is everyone who's professed faith alone in Jesus Christ as Savior. And today, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you're not 100% sure if you were to leave this life where you'll spend eternity. My encouragement today to you is that you would call on the name of the Lord to be saved. Notice in Genesis chapter 5, and while you're there, put your finger in Jude chapter 1 and in Hebrews chapter 11. We're looking at the life of, my, of the man, the life of the man by the name of Enoch. He's called Methuselah's uh, father. And there's much that we can see in these few verses that will encourage us. We realize this morning that though in comparison to us, he lived a long life. In his generation, he lived a short life. Notice some, some things that stand out about us, uh, to us about this man. Notice in verse 21, he was 65 years of age. Now in America, that's normal retirement age. Social Security calls that NRA. They call it, and that's not National Rifle Association. Amen? They call that normal retirement age. They basically say 65, that's normal when you're supposed to retire. Notice here about this man by the name of Methuselah. I mean this man by the name of Enoch. He's 65 years of age. We know nothing about the first 65 years of his life. And then at age 65, something great happened. We'll see in the first point. He has a son. He names his son Methuselah. You might say that he's he called Methuselah, it was almost like a javelin or dart hit him between the eyes, or a javelin or dart hit him in the heart. He just, he awakened to the fact that there was something happening in his life. And the Bible says later on, he lived another 300 years, but during those next 300 years, those were the most important years of his life because he walked with God. Now we need to see something today. God, what he has said, says here today about Enoch, applies it to every man and woman and child here. God wants you and I to have a life like Enoch. God wants you and I to strive to do what Enoch did. God wants you and I to have the blessings and the joy of Christ in our life just like Enoch did. And so we're going to see that this morning. Notice four things about Enoch that will speak to your life and mine this morning. Four things that are life-changing statements. Four things that will change our lives. Number one, would you notice Enoch's wake up? Enoch's wake up. Again, in verse 21, Enoch lived 60 and 5 years and begat Methuselah. Now, Enoch had a waking up moment. We have to understand everything that's transpired in Enoch's life. First of all, we notice that this wake up occurred, the, the precedent that led to it was the badness of his society. Enoch lived during a time where there were two, if you would, two different distinct groups of people. Two different distinct groups of people. The group number one were the were, were the was the was uh, the descendants uh, the uh, the descendants that Enoch was from. Enoch could trace his roots all the way back to Adam, but specifically through an ancestor or forefather by the name of Seth and his son Enoch. The Bible says that the lineage of Seth and Enoch were men that called on the name of the Lord. Now, for the most part, we can say that the lineage that Enoch came from was a lineage of godly men. These were men that learned how to pray. These were men that got a hold of God. You might say that the ancestry or the descendancy by which Enoch came to were men who had to walk with God. Now, you follow that a little bit further on. As you continue reading the Genesis 5 and 6, you read later on that Noah, who was one of the great patriarchs, Noah was also a descendant of Enoch. And so we see this morning that Enoch, that, that, that he came from that lineage. But there was a second lineage. Now, the second lineage was troublesome. Because the second lineage was also a descendant from Adam. The second lineage began with Adam's firstborn son, Cain. Now Cain, if you know anything about Cain, Cain would be considered the first apostate in the Bible. Cain was a son of Adam, but he was not a son of God. 
Cain had accessibility to knowing how to be saved, but he chose not to be saved. And we read about Cain that everyone who descended from Cain became men who knew not God, who chose not God, who did not want God. We fast forward a little bit. Go with me to Genesis chapter 6. And we read here about some troubling things that was going on during the days, the latter days of, of, uh, of, um, of Enoch that also occurred during the days of Noah. And it said this, that, that God looked here, you look a bit further down. It says in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, it says, God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The commentary that God saw in the world that day was the badness of the society. Look at the description again in verse 5. God saw that the wickedness of man... This was, not, this was not a posting by the Washington Post or the New York Times or by Time Magazine or Wall Street Journal or some conservative magazine. No, this was a con commentary from God Himself. God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. In other words, all that generation that descended from Cain that now is 700 years later that, that now find its way during the days of Noah... These men and women that followed the lineage of Cain were men that thought evil continually. Now, I don't know if you've ever been around somebody that's been very just, they can't get their thought life straight. But the people during that time, they couldn't think of good things. Everything in their mind was sinfully wicked. We read a little bit further down. And notice uh, Genesis 6, verse 11. It says, The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And verse 12, And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And all I want to say this morning is that the day in which Enoch lived and the day in which Methuselah was born in, there was badness in the society. We live in a bad society. We live during perilous times. You cannot pick up the news anywhere without sensing violence and wickedness and terrible things going on. And we wonder where this is all going. The Bible says that in the end times, these will be perilous days. And we believe we're living those perilous or dangerous times right now. But during those days, that's exactly what was going on with Cain. That was what was going on during Enoch's day. It was a bad world. It was a world filled with, overrun with crime, violence, and wickedness. Now, Enoch, go back to Genesis 5. Enoch lived during those times. For his first 65 years of his life, he lived for himself. He protected himself. He kept himself out of danger. They being 65 in those days was equivalent to being made probably about 20 years of age now. They, they, they didn't age as quickly. And uh, the factors in the environment, things like that, they lived long periods of life. But during that time, Enoch just lived his life. Nothing is said about his spirituality. Nothing is said about his life. Nothing said about anything monumental or any decisions that he made. So we see the badness of society. But notice, Enoch has a wake-up call. A wake-up call is like waking up in the morning, hearing your alarm, it's time to get out of bed. It's time to get out of bed in the morning, amen? You hear that wake-up call, it's time to roll out. You've got to wake up. You've got to open your eyes and realize it's time to smell the coffee, amen? And so he has this wake-up call. And the wake-up call came about because of the birth of a son. And you'll notice here in verse 21 and 22, it says this, Enoch lived 65 years and begat Methuselah. There was something about the birth of that son that woke him up. I read the story about three expectant fathers that were in the waiting room of a hospital and they were all sharing stories and they talked about where they were from and who they worked for and things of that nature. And as they were talking, all three of those men, their wives were expecting, they were in labor at that time and they're different delivery rooms. A nurse comes in and looks for the first father. She says, sir, congratulations. Your wife has just given birth to two sons. Congratulations. 
congratulations, you've had twins. And the man says, well, that's so coincidental. I happen to be the manager of the Minnesota Twins. That's a wonderful thing. Well, not long after that, another nurse came in, and she looked for the second father. And she looked for the second father, and she said to him, hey, congratulations, your wife had triplets. And he said, well, that's a coincidence. That's a wonderful thing. I happen to work for 3M Company. And so he's excited. Well, the third father, he got paranoid, and he immediately looked for the nearest window and jumped out the window and fell outside. And so a third nurse comes inside and she says, hey, where's the third father? And the second and first father said, well, he got excited when he heard about what we had. I had twins and he had, he had triplets. And so he jumped out the window. She said, well, why did he jump out the window? He said, probably because he worked for 7-Up Company. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but it's a wake-up call when you have children. I went to the hospital to see Brother Garwin and, and Flora when they had their little baby the other day, and I was so happy for them. And I looked at Gar, and Gar looked like he did. And the day he told me he was going to start, he wanted to ask me, can I have permission to start dating or courting uh, Flora there? And he had those same stars in his eyes. Said, now he was walking on the air. And I said, do you feel like you're a father? He says, I don't know what I feel right now. He just, I just, I just, I'm just loving every moment of it. And he just feels like things have changed. Hey, you guys who've had children, you know what I'm talking about. You have a child. You have a son. You have a daughter. That's a wake-up call in life. This was a wake-up call for, for, for uh, Enoch because he realized he couldn't waste any more time. He was more than just a proud father. It was like an arrow or dart hidden between the eyes. And with that being in mind, he named his son Methuselah, which means a, a dart, a dart, if you would, or a javelin that's out there, a man of the dart. And listen, when you have children, it changes you in many ways. You have a son, it changes in many ways. Listen, the first thing that changes, it changes your sleep. You'll never have a good night's sleep again until they move out of the house. Amen? It changes you in your maturity. You realize you need to start growing up. You've got to put away childish things. It changes you in your practices. It helps you to realize you've got to realign your time. It changes you in your time management. But listen, all those things are good, but most importantly, it should change your perspective and your priorities in life and realizing what is the most important thing about life. And here, this man Enoch realized for the first 65 years, he had just lived for Enoch. He did everything for Enoch, but now Enoch realized that he had to live for something and someone more important than himself. And he realized the most important person in his life was God himself. Enoch's name means dedicated. And when his father Jared named him Enoch, he had the idea that Enoch would be dedicated to God and Enoch would live for the Lord. And it was at that moment, I, it took a long time, but at 65 years of age, after Methuselah was born, Enoch awakened to the fact he needed to live a life that's dedicated to God. Can I remind you today, listen, when a baby's born, that's a wake-up call. But every time somebody gets saved, that's a wake-up call. Amen. When there's a new birth that occurs, that's a wake-up call. And listen, I want to encourage every Christian here today, get involved in act, especially this summer, with bringing new sons into glory, with giving out a gospel track, of telling somebody about the Lord Jesus Christ, and seeing new sons brought into glory. And as you do so, it'll change your life. I remember many years ago, after I got saved, a youth group I was a part of, they had, a, they had a, this, this barbecue at somebody's house and they advertised there'd be ping pong and all these things. And I was a ninth grader and I was just trying to figure out everything about living the Christian life. And I didn't even know how to find all the books of the Bible. But I got excited because there was a friend by the name of Tommy that I used to play basketball with. And Tommy was a southpaw. And Tommy, just, Tommy always would put these moves on me because he was a southpaw. He just had these great left-handed uh, hook shots he'd make. And so hey, Tommy and I were very good friends. I said, Tommy, listen, I go to this youth group and I don't know everything going on here, but I like to invite 
invite you to come with me to this youth group because I think it'll be great and we're going to have free food and, and listen, we're going to play ping pong and stuff. He said, Alan, I'd love to go with you like that. And we went there with a bunch of young, young people about my age, between I guess 13 and 14 years of age was there. And the youth pastor got up about midway through that and they had a program. He preached a gospel message and he gave an invitation. As he gave the invitation, he said, would any of you young people like to get saved? You'd like to ask Jesus Christ your heart as your Savior? And I remember I peeked. Now, I wasn't supposed to peek, but I peeked. And I peeked and looked to my side on my right, and my friend Tommy raised his left hand because I was on his left side, and he raised his left hand like this that he wanted to get saved. Man, I got so fired up. I took, my, I took Tommy's side. I said, Tommy, I couldn't help but notice that you lifted your hand and you, that you wanted to get saved. Can I take you to our youth pastor and let him tell you how to get saved there? Because I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say. I took him to our youth pastor. I sat there at the table. I watched the youth pastor as he carefully explained what we call the Romans road and how to get saved. Hey, listen, I got excited when Tommy got saved and trusted Jesus Christ to save. Changed my life. It was a wake-up call. I got a desire for seeing souls saved. I got a desire for people coming to know Jesus Christ as Savior. I'm going to tell you this morning, I don't care if you're shy. I don't care if you're introverted. Get involved in telling somebody about Jesus Christ, and it'll change your life. It'll be a wake-up call that God wants to give you. We see Enoch had a wake-up call. But notice, secondly, in verses 22 and 23, we see something else. We don't only see Enoch's wake-up. Notice we see Enoch's walk. Now notice this this morning. It says something very interesting about him in verse 22. It says he begat Methuselah, and then verse 22, Enoch walked with God. Say that together with me, please. Enoch walked with God. Say it again with me, please. Enoch walked with God. Now he just didn't walk. He walked with God. Now walking with God is having fellowship with God. Walking with God is our time with the Lord. God wants you and me to walk with Him. Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. Look at verse 24. And Enoch walked with God. I mean, it's so impressive that he made the priority of his life, his daily communion, his ongoing fellowship, his closeness with God, that the Bible says Enoch walked with God. Now listen today. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be full-time in the ministry to have a walk with God. The basic requirement for all of us is that God wants you and me to walk with Him. God wants to hear your voice. And God wants you to hear his voice. God wants you to walk with him. God wants you to have a specific time, an appointment time that you have where you walk with God. Notice if you would some things about this walk that he had with God. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Would you do that please? Hebrews chapter 11. And notice Hebrews 11 gives us some insight about this walk he had with God. Hebrews 11, as you turn, there should be in your notes, in your bulletin there. But in Hebrews 11, notice verse 5. Enoch is mentioned the second time in the Bible. Hebrews 11, he's listed as one of the patriarchs of faith. And it says, by faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before this translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Now I want you to notice this this morning. Notice the persuasion in Enoch's walk. Listen, you have to be persuaded. You have to be decided in your heart you're going to have a walk with God. Now if you've gotten saved in recent weeks, you've been saved for several years, your pastor's encouragement to you this morning, have a walk with God. Learn how to read your Bible. Learn how to pray. Learn how to have a walk with God. But how are you going to do that? Notice the first two words in Hebrews 11, 5. By faith. That's the exercise of faith. We need to add to our faith. We need to add to our faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. Enoch walked with God. Now he started off, believe it or not, he probably was a believer for a long period of time, but he started to walk with God. He started to grow in the faith. He started to understand who God was at age 65 after Methuselah was born. He got a spiritual mind. He started to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. He started realizing that, man, it's fun to walk with God. It's neat to walk with God. It's a wonderful thing there. And the Bible says, by faith, Enoch was translated. Notice the Bible says, the just shall live by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. 
Notice in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, what it says about your faith and mine. Notice what it says. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord. If you're saved, you've received Christ Jesus. Amen. 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 He says, as you've therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Now that's a command that God gave to the Apostle Paul. God doesn't want you to have a casual relationship. Listen, if you're married today, your wife, sir, does not want you to have a casual relationship with her. She wants you to have a close, intimate relationship. And listen, this morning, uh, ma'am, your, your, your husband doesn't want you to have a casual relationship with him. He wants you to have a close, intimate relationship with him. But God, the same thing applies with our relationship with God. God didn't save us just to forgive us of our sins and places in his family. God wants your fellowship. God made Adam and Eve because he wants fellowship. Can you, can you just wrap your mind around this for just a minute? The creator of all the universe, the God who's eternal and infinite and almighty, the God who breathed the world, who spoke a word, and the worlds came into existence, <coughs> the God who's great and mighty, he wants fellowship with you and me. That's awesome, amen? He wants to walk with you, and he wants you to walk with him. So he says here, as ye have re therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. The reality of the fact was, when, when Enoch got hit between the eyes with the fact that he had a son, he named his son Methuselah, man of the dart, or man of the arrow, and he got hit in his heart, and he realized, man, I've wasted 65 years of my life. I better start walking with God. Listen, it's never too late to walk with God. You can start today. So you notice we see that Enoch was persuaded. He had this persuasion by faith. But notice the practices of a walk with God. Now, we have to ask yourself the question. If you're starting out, whether you have a walk with God now or you need to develop one, and I'm encouraging you today to learn how to have a daily appointment time with God and learn how to walk with the Lord. Notice the practices involved, the basic practices involved with a walk with God. First of all, a walk with God involves the uninterrupted reading, studying, and memorizing God's Word. Let me say that again. A walk with God involves the uninterrupted reading, studying, and memorizing of God's Word. Now listen, you, if we make time for a lot of things in our life. We make time for commuting. We make time for eating. We definitely make time for sleeping. We make time to worship God, and that's important. Praise God for that. But we must make time for the uninterrupted time of the reading, the studying, and the memorizing of God's Word. Listen to what Jeremiah said about reading God's Word. He said in Jeremiah 15, 16, Thy words were found, and I did eat them. Now, that's the idea God wants us to have when we, when we read His Word. He wants us to come for a spiritual banqueting. He wants us to come to the table. He says, and to eat the Word of God. My words, thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing in my heart. For I'm called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. In Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, this is what God said to Ezekiel the prophet. Because even pastors and, and prophets, they need to have a walk with God. He said, moreover, he said unto me, son of man, eat that thou findest. Now, I don't know about you this morning, but I opened my Bible up today. And I was looking for God, whatever God gave me. That's what I ate today, man. And I got some good stuff that God gave me this morning. And I'm thankful today that whatever God gives you is never bad. Whatever God gives you is exactly what you need for the moment. And he told Ezekiel, who was a very discouraged prophet, a captivity prophet for that matter. He says, son of man, eat that thou findest. Now, sometimes people like just to read the same comforting passage all the time. They like to read maybe Psalms 19 or Proverbs chapter 3. They want to read something comforting like John chapter 3. And I'm all for that's wonderful. But I want to tell you, God wants you to eat that which you find. He wants you to read through the whole Bible. Amen. And I want to encourage you today, if you haven't made it a goal, make it your goal to read through all of the Bible. Did you know today that if you read through, if you read about eight to nine pages a day of the Bible, you could read through the Bible three times in a year? Yeah. 
Do you realize today that if you just gave yourself about three chapters a day of the Old Testament and two chapters a day of the New Testament, you could get to the Old Testament at least one time this year and to the New Testament at least two or three times this year? I'm just saying today, make some time to read the Word of God. Matthew, Matthew 4, 4, he said, he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Hey, listen, I know we need to live on our carbs, and I know we need to live on our protein, and I know we need to live on 32 ounces or more of water a day. I know we need to live all those kind of things, but I'm going to tell you today, man shall not live on by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Hey, come to church with a hunger and a thirst in your soul. Come to church desiring, God, feed me something today. God, give me something from the Word of God that will inspire me to help me to live for God. God, I'm hungry today for comfort. God, I'm hungry today for you to do something. Hey, come today accepting, asking God to do something in your soul that will glorify his name. Listen, a walk with God involves the uninterrupted reading, studying, memorizing God's word. But listen, the practice also involves uninterrupted time in prayer. Now, through the word of God, God speaks to us, but through prayer, we speak to him. Now, God doesn't want the relationship just one way where it's just all about you talking to him or just him talking to you. He wants to hear from you as well. And so prayer is a requirement. Listen to what he says here in Proverbs 15, 8. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. God wants to hear from you. We have the model prayer given in Matthew chapter 7 where we're taught how to pray. That doesn't mean you pray the exact words of that, but it gives us a model how to pray. It gives us a pattern how to call on God as our Father. God delights into hearing your voice. God wants to hear. Hey, did God hear from you this morning? Did you talk to Jesus today? You still have time, amen? You still have time today. And then notice Mark chapter 1, verse 35. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed to a solitary place and there prayed. That was our Lord Jesus Christ. He got up before sunrise. He found a familiar spot. He went somewhere. It could have been the Garden of Gethsemane, somewhere like that, the Mount of Olives. He went somewhere like that. And he found a solitary place where he could be all alone with God, where nobody would bother him, where nobody would find him. And there he prayed and met with God. I like what John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, said. He who runs from God in the morning will scarcely find him the rest of the day. Oh, I want to encourage this morning. We see here the walk that Enoch walked with God. He had a persuasion. He had good practices. But you notice this morning, there's the protection we get from the walk with God. Now, one of the reasons why you want to walk with God every day in his word and prayer is for God's spiritual protection on your life. Would you notice Psalms chapter 91, please? In Psalms 91, verses 1 and 2, the psalmist said this, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Now, I don't know about you, we had a, uh, the, earlier this week, we had a braid heat wave. Last Sunday, you might remember, we had a lot of sun out here last Sunday, amen? And I watched all of our people go out there to get their lunch as we were back here on this public safety Sunday, and it was beating down hot, and after a while, as, as perspiration started coming down everybody's face, a lot of people started scattering out of the sun and trying to find shade wherever they could. You like to be under the shadow. Did you know the shadow of the Almighty is your protective place? It protects you from the fiery darts of Satan. It protects you from evil thoughts. It protects you from bitterness in your heart. It protects you from the devil attacking you. He, look what he says here in Psalms 91 again. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And the psalmist said this, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, and Him will I trust. I read the story about a man named Sir George Adam Smith. Sir George Adam Smith was an English or British rock climber or mountain climber. 
I'm, I'm amazed at mountain climbing, how, in, how much resilience it, it requires and how much endurance it requires and courage and planning. And Sir George Adam Smith used to lead explorations of people that would go climbing with him. And he went to the Weisshorn there in the Swiss Alps to climb it. And as he went there, as you know anything about mountain climbing, sometimes as you go to these high peaks and altitudes that are very high up, the, the, the temperature can change and the climate can change. You might be at the base and it could be very warm and very, very okay. And then you can make your way up as you get near the summit. The weather changes. It gets cold and there's snow and there's ice and there's blistery winds and you got to be very careful. And as Sir George Adam Smith and others were making their way up there, they finally, he's leading this expedition. He led this man with them and the man, very first time on the white shore, he just said, I've got to make it to the top. I've got to make it to the top. And that man was with Sir George Adam Smith. He made it to the top, and he was just excited, and he laid it, and he put the flag down on the top of that summit there. But as he did so, and he lifted his arms up, he was about to jump up and, he, and, and just say, wonderful, as he did so, a gust of wind blew. He's on the side there, and he didn't have proper balance. As the gust of wind blew, he almost fell off and would have crashed to his death all the way to the bottom. Sir George Adam Smith, who was a very experienced climber and realized the type of thing, saw what was going on. And immediately as that man jumped up, he grabbed hold and grabbed him by his parka. And he grabbed him with both hands by the parka, and as he did so, and at simultaneous time, he said, Sir, dead on your knees, sir, dead on your knees, for there and there alone are, are you only saved. And I remind you this morning, the winds of hell will blow at you, and the winds of opposition blow at you. The only safe place to be as a child of God is right there on your knees with Jesus Christ. Oh, this morning, we see that our walk with God, there's the persuasion by faith. We see that the practices, there's the word of God, and there's the praying that we must do. We see the protection God gives us. But I want you to notice in, Proverbs, notice in Hebrews 11, verse, 6, verse 5, notice the pleasing in the walking with God. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, 5, by faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because he got it translated. Now, we're going to talk about that in a minute. But notice this. Before his translation, he had this testimony. That's a good testimony to walk with God. You're a good Christian when you walk with God. You have a good witness when you walk with God. And he says, before his translation, he had this testimony, notice this, that he pleased God. Now I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I believe everybody in this room, you want to please God. That's why you're here today. I believe you want to honor God. I think you, in your heart of hearts, you want God to be pleased with your, the words of your mouth and meditates your heart. I believe you want God to be honored through your life. But the truth of the matter is, when we look at Enoch, Enoch had this testimony that he pleased God. He walked with God for 300 interrupted years. Think about that. He didn't miss his devotions one time for 300 years. He didn't miss his time with God. In fact, as you study the context, not only did he have one daily time with God, he had multiple daily times with God. He met with God frequently and recurrently through the day because he was so in love with the Lord. The closer he got to God, the closer he wanted to keep on getting there. Listen, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Does your walk with God please him? I've walked life's way with an easy tread. I'd followed where comforts and pleasures led until one day in a quiet place I met the master face to face with station and rank and wealth for my goal. Much thought for my body but none for my soul until that day in a quiet place I met the master face to face. I built my castles and I built them high with their domes they pierced the blue of the sky. I vowed to rule with an iron mace when on that day I met him face to face. I met him, and I knew him, and I blushed to see that his eyes filled with sorrow were fixed on me. 
I fell and faltered his feet that day. As my castles all melted and vanished away, melted and vanished, and in their place, not else did I see but my master's face. I cried aloud, Lord, make me meek to follow the path of thy wounded feet. My thoughts are now for the souls of men. I lost my life that I might find it again. Ere since that day, in a quiet place, I met my master face to face. Enoch walked with God. Enoch had a wake-up. Notice the third thing very quickly. Would you go with me to Jude chapter 1? Notice Enoch and his warning. Enoch walked with God for 300 years. As he drew closer and closer to God, God was working in his heart. Listen, the time you spend in God's word and the time you spend in prayer, God works in your heart. Instead of, instead of Enoch focusing on Enoch, Enoch started to realize there was a world outside that needed the Lord. And God put a burden on Enoch's heart. And he got a burden for his world. He got a burden for the badness of his society. He realized the more he walked with God, the more he saw the world from the islands of God and not from the islands of, of Enoch. And notice the Bible says in, in verse 14 of Jude chapter 1, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. Would you notice Enoch had a change in his direction. Enoch had a change in his devotion. Enoch had a change in his occupation. The Bible says Enoch was the seventh from Adam. Now all his predecessors learned how to pray, but we don't read about a preacher until we get to Enoch. Now thank God for men that pray, but Enoch started to realize somebody's got to take a stand in a world that's drifting far away from God, a world that's filled with violence and corruption and getting away from God. And God burdened Enoch's heart to be a warning to his generation. The Bible says that Enoch prophesied. He became a witness, a preacher of the gospel. Now, regardless if any of his other forefathers or ancestors did or not, he wasn't critical of them. He didn't beat down on them. He just realized, I've got to walk with God. I don't know how much time God's going to give me, but I've got to make my life count for him. I've got to be productive with my life. And the Bible says that Enoch prophesied of the Lord. Now, he was a preacher of God's word. He preached about the Savior. Notice in verse 14, he said, Behold the Lord. He preached about the Lord. Jesus said, if I have been lifted up, I will draw him into myself. Now I realize there's some of you here today that watch television. And some of you today might turn on the cable TV or turn on to the radio. And you've got your favorite radio preacher. And you've got your favorite TV preacher and so forth like that. And I just want to tell you today, I, I encourage you to test anything you hear outside on the radio and television. You better test it to the Word of God. And not they say, take whatever they say is being gospel. You need to test it to the Word of God. I want to tell you today, you, you know an authentic preacher of the Word of God when he's lifting up Jesus Christ, when he's preaching Christ, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw him into myself. Charles Spurgeon said this, the motto of true servants of God must be, we preach Christ and him crucified. A sermon without Christ in it is like a loaf of bread without any flour in it. No Christ in your sermon, sir? Then go home and never preach again until you have something worth preaching. Listen, he was a, he was a preacher of the scriptures. He preached about Jesus Christ. If you're new to the church, you stay around here any length of time, you're going to know one thing. We preach Christ and Christ alone. Amen. We lift up Jesus Christ in our message. He preached about the Savior. But I want you to notice in verses 14 and 15, he preached against sin. Now, we live in a day where everybody wants to, they want to get all caught up with hyper grace. And they want, you need to have grace about this and grace about that. And I'm all for that. But listen, you've got to realize that the word of God calls it what it is. He calls a spade a spade and sin, sin. Notice in verse 15, 
He says, to, he preached to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now I don't have time to go on to this, but you know what? He preached against sin. Four times he talked about ungodliness. Ungodliness is against God. It's anti-God. He talked about ungodly deeds, the ungodly among them, the, the, the things the ungodly committed and their hard speeches and ungodly sinners. He preached against sin. He preached about judgment. He preached about accountability. He preached about consequence. His preaching warned the sinners of judgment that was coming. How did he get that way? His first 65 years, he was kind of standoffish. His first 65 years, he was kind of just a marshmallow, if I say that, if you would. But listen, he was walking with God. And he got the mind of God. God and the heart for the Lord. And as he got a heart for God, he saw how God saw the world. He says, man, somebody's got to tell the world we're going in the wrong direction. Somebody's got to tell him abortion is murder, not right. Somebody's got to tell him that what sin is and cohabitating with someone that's not your, that, that you're not married to is a sin. You've got to understand the Bible calls sin what it is. And so he started talking about it. Now he didn't do it to condemn people. He helped one of them understand. They got to the place where they couldn't discern evil from good. He preached about the Savior. He preached against sin. Notice, he preached about salvation. Aren't you glad about that? Amen? It says here, he, notice if you would, verses 15 and 16, Behold, the Lord cometh with 10,000 of his saints. Well, why did he say that? He wanted to know there's a Savior that they could know. He wanted to know that there is an escape, and that an escape is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He wanted to know that they know that you're under the judgment of God. You can also experience the mercies of God in your life. The grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men. God wants you to be saved. God's will for your life, the very first step you need to take is get saved. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what your experiences are. You need to get saved. Jesus said, except a man be born again. He could not enter into the kingdom of God. You need to get saved today. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. Hey, this morning, are you saved? You know you're going to heaven? Your sin's forgiven. If you're not, listen, God loves you, and he's inviting you to call upon Jesus to save you. But listen, he preached about the Savior. He preached against sin. He preached salvation. But notice in verse 14, he preached about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Behold, the Lord cometh. And let me tell you this morning, Jesus is coming soon. Go back to Genesis 5 this morning as we close up, and I want you to see one more thing about Enoch, and we're done. The last 35 minutes, I've said some things about Enoch that just, God, it challenges my life. He had a wake up. Now God gave him something positive in his life to wake him up. You're blessed, and you are. Say amen to that, amen? That's a wake up. But if you're going through a trial, a difficulty, an affliction, that also is a wake up. It could be this morning God is putting something in your life to wake you up. It could be like a dart that's been, that's been, that God has thrown your way, an arrow he shot your way to wake you up. Enoch had to wake up. Enoch had to walk with God. Enoch's life was a warning, but as we close, would you notice chapter 5 of Genesis and then Hebrews 11? It tells us something interesting about his ending. Notice it says here, in all the days, we're back in Genesis chapter 5. It says, Enoch, at verse 22, And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years, and begat sons and daughters, and all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and notice this next phrase, he was not, for God took him. 
Enoch was a warning, but you notice Enoch, we see, is the close of life. We see Enoch's withdrawal. God took him out of this world. Enoch did not die a natural death. Did you hear what I said? Enoch did not die a natural death. Enoch experienced what every believer in Jesus Christ could experience in our generation. He experienced what we call the rapture, what Hebrews 11.5 calls he was translated. He was withdrawn. He was removed. God raptured Enoch out of this world. He took him out. He got so close to God. He got closer and closer to God. And God was so pleased with how he got close to him. He said, Enoch, you know what? I'm going to spare you going through the trauma of a natural death. I'm just going to take you up right now. Oh, I'm so thankful today. If you're saved, listen. If you're saved, here's what happens. You're born once, you die twice. But when you're born twice, you only die once. Amen? You know Jesus Christ, your Savior. You've experienced a new birth. Christians don't die. Christians graduate and enter into the presence of our Savior. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. When we leave this life through death, listen, we put off this mortal and put on immortal. We put off this corruptible and put on incorruptible. To be, listen, to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. But Enoch experienced something <clears throat> His lifetime that no one else experienced. He experienced what it was to be raptured. God took him. Would you notice what it says there? Notice again, if you would. In verse 24, it says, Enoch was not. In other words, if you would now, Enoch did not, Enoch didn't have to go through the same experience as other people. He didn't have to go through a natural death process, disease, and sickness. God said he was not. Can I tell you something? He was not like the rest of the world. He was not lazy in his deeds. He was not disobedient with God. He was not living in sin. He was not living in complacency and indifference. He was not found he was not found in a place where he was not watching and praying. He was not, the Bible says. May it be said of us that we're not like the rest of the world and we're not going down the same way. May it be said of us that we were not like the rest of them. It says he was not. God saw a man who got closer and closer and closer to him and God says, you know, Enoch, you're so close to me and you love me so much, I'm just going to take you up. And the Bible says God took him. Listen, the rapture is the next big event on the prophetic calendar and the rapture is when, when there's there's going to be a trumpet sound. We don't know when, but we know how. We don't know when it's going to happen. There'll be the sound of the trumpet, the voice of the archangel, and the shout of God. We're not looking for the signs. We're listening for the sounds, beloved. And when the sound comes, listen, instantaneously, in the twinkle of an eye, which is a fraction of a second, when the twinkle of an eye, those dead in Christ who predeceased us, the dead in Christ, their bodies shall rise up first. Then we which are alive and remain, these, those of the life, we will be snatched up by the Lord. We'll be caught up together to to meet them in the cloud of the Lord and the cloud of the earth. Listen, the rapture could happen right now. And if the rapture happened right now, Jesus would call the dead in Christ would be raised up and like that. I mean, instantaneously before we could even have a sparkle in our eye, you and I would be caught up to be with the Lord forever and forever in the air. Notice 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, if you have that in your notes, please. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. Listen, God is not going to send an angel when the rapture comes. God's coming himself, amen? The Lord himself shall descend from heaven. Now, in the rapture, Jesus' feet does not touch the ground. Jesus will descend, and he'll be somewhere here in this first heaven where we're going to meet him in the air. He'll be there, but it'll happen so quickly. The Lord will descend from the third heaven into the first heaven. And the Lord himself shall descend from heaven, notice, with a shout. And the Bible says, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Listen, God's going to come down. Jesus is going to come down. And I think he's going to say something like this. He says, he's going to say, come up hither, and all those who are saved will recognize the voice of our Savior. You say, how do you know? Because he said, my sheep know my voice. Amen. Amen. 
We're going to know his voice. We're going to know his authenticity. And he's going to rapture us up. And the Bible says that the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then it says in verse 17, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Can you imagine what's going on here? Enoch was walking with God. He's walking there somewhere down in that area which we now call Palestine. He's walking there having a time with God and people all around society. And the next thing you know, Enoch was not. He was no longer there. Enoch was gone. I mean, he vanished out of sight. And people were looking everywhere. They looked behind the curtains. No, Enoch there. They looked under a rock. No, Enoch there. They ran to a cave. No, Enoch there. They ran to his home. No, Enoch there. And somebody waited there for 24 hours thinking he'd come home. No, Enoch there. They walked everywhere they could. They looked in the forest. They looked up in the trees. They looked around the trees. They looked in everywhere they could. There was no Enoch there. Why? Because God took him out. God took him up. And God took him out of the world. God said, listen, judgment's coming. And we know the judgment came not many years after that through his descendant by the name of Noah. Noah, that God would send a flood on the earth. And God said, I'm going to spare you death, and I'm going to spare you all that. I'm going to take you up. I want to tell you this morning, when God took him, he was not ashamed of his life. He was not, he could say, I've lived my life in good conscience before God and man. He was not ashamed to be found in the wrong place. He was not ashamed to be found with the wrong people. He was found in the place where God took him. And may I say this morning, the imminent return of our Lord Jesus Christ could happen right now. The Bible says, looking for the blessed hope the glorious spirit, the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The prayer of the early church was Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. We sing a song entitled, Maybe Today My Lord Will Come for Me. He could come for us today. We don't know when. He'll come like a thief in the night, but when he comes, he will come. He'll come suddenly. He'll come swiftly. He'll come, it'll be a surprise for many people. Listen, if you're not saved, if you're not saved, if the Lord was to come right now, you'd be left behind. You'd be left behind to go through seven years of terrible tribulation. You'd say, well, I'll believe then. Listen, you'll believe the lies of that seven-year tribulation because you've heard the gospel today. You've heard you need to get saved. And listen, God's Holy Spirit will be moved from the world when all the believers are taken out. He which led us shall be let go. He, he will, the Holy Spirit will, be, will not be present here in this world. And listen, the devil will go full reign here. And you'll, you'll, believe, you'll believe a delusional lie. You'll believe, he'll send a strong delusion. You'll believe a lie because you're just not going to accept that. And even the world, when the rapture comes, the world will reject and forget about all the believers. They'll think, well, something happened. They'll con conjecture some kind of lie about what happened to them. And listen, if you stay here, you'll go through the seven most worst years that if you even make it through that time that the world has ever seen. It's called the time of the great tribulation. My urge to you this morning as we consider the life of Enoch, get saved today. Call on the Lord to be your Savior. Call on Jesus to save you from your sin. Realize today the salvation right there is available to you right now. You can be saved. I'm thankful this morning we look at the life of Enoch. And Enoch had a wake up. Enoch had a walk with God. Enoch's life was a warning. And Enoch was a withdrawal. Methuselah's birth changed his life. If this morning you get born into God's family, that changes your life too. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. God makes you a new creature in Jesus Christ. God makes you someone that he can use in a great way. This morning, Christian friend, do you have a walk with God? Is God pleased with your walk? Are you like Enoch? You're living your life to be a warning to others? Behold, the Lord cometh with 10,000 of his saints. Do you realize today that we need to live for God? There needs to be a clear distinction between us and the world. There needs to be a clear distinction that we, that we, that we're, we're, we identify ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ as these three precious believers did this morning in believer's baptism. Do people know that you're a believer? Do people know that your sins are forgiven? And I just want to challenge you this morning. There's a lot of people, all of us know. You know people I don't know, and I know people you don't know. 
And there are these people we know that the only gospel they're ever going to hear, the only witness for Jesus Christ is you. And listen, Enoch came to that realization. He became a warning to his generation. He said, behold, the Lord cometh with 10,000 of his saints. And as we close this morning, we see Enoch had that withdrawal. God pulled him out. God took him. The Bible admonishes us in 1 John 2, 28. And now little children abide in him, have fellowship with him, stay close to him. That when he shall appear, we may have confidence, not be ashamed before him at his coming. I urge you this morning, Christian, maybe today is a time for a wake-up call. Maybe today is a time for fathers and men to have a wake-up call, to get a walk with God, to lead your family and all family altars and reading the Bible and praying and encourage your family to live for God. But it has to start with you. It may be this morning that many more of us will decide we're going, to be a, we're going to be a warning to this generation, a warning to our society and our generation that they need Christ as their Savior. And it might be today that you're not saved. And God invites you this morning with open, loving arms to receive Jesus today.